Chapter 28 of The Grey Man. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeremiah Sutherland, Victoria, British Columbia. The Grey Man by S. R. Crockett. Chapter 28 Warm Backs Make Bra Bairns. It was the morning of the 11th of May, and we were on the morrow to take our journey to the town of Edinburgh. I had advertisement the night before that I was to ride to the town of Maybole to meet John Muir of Auchendrayne, and on my master's account to appoint a tryst with him at the Duple, not far from the town of Ayr, for my lord desired not to pass through that place, knowing that many of the faction of Bargany abode there. But Sir Thomas ever believed that Auchendrayne was of those that wished him well, because of the marriage and of all that had passed between them. So I had to ride on this mission that I loved not over well, but I had not to say, for whenever I spake to the tutor concerning John Muir, he would clap me on the head and say, Ye are over-careful and suspicious, Lancelot. John Muir and I are fathers of the same pair of bairns. Wherefore, then, should we not be as one, even as they? Poor man, I could not find it in my heart to tell him of the happening beneath the town gate of Maybole, when James Muir's wife bade farewell to Gilbert Kennedy of Bargany, as he lay there dead on his enemy's spears. So at early morning I rode as I was bidden to Maybole to meet the Laird of Auchendrayne, who, as my master knew, had some business there. But it so fell out that I missed him, for he had lodged all night in the town at the Black House, which belongs to one Kennedy of Knockdun, a friend of his, and of the Laird of Newark's. I was loath to ride all the way after him to Auchendrayne, and so bethought me that I should get the loan of a laddie from my crony, Domini Muir, out of his school at the foot of the Kirkwind. My way led me by the green, where it was sorely in my mind to try a stroke of the ball. But I remembered me that Sir Thomas bade me be soon back, that I might be ready to ride with him on the morrow's morn to the town of Edinburgh by Dupel and the ford of Holmstone. So, though I saw some brisk burkies looking at the ball, one of them being lay-nosed Jamie Crawford, that had his nose flattened with the stroke of a golf-ball on the hills of air, I refrained me for that time, and went to seek a boy. But I saw none on the green, saving some raggedy loons playing kickball, whom I did not like to trust with so important a message. I went on, therefore, to the schoolhouse. And as I went, it cheered me to think on Dominie Muir and his humours, for he and I had been gossips of a long season. The schoolhouse of Maybole was a curious building tacked on to the rear of the kirk, with vaulted passages of timber, in which were doors which could on occasion be opened, so that the school itself might be used as an addition to the kirk should the latter be crowded. But in my time the space was but seldom in demand. It was an age of iron, and men's minds craved not naturally that which was peaceable and good. The old papistry had passed away, but the new religion had not yet grown into the hearts of the people. I came to the schoolhouse door. The noise of conning lessons that used to go humming all along the kirk venel was louder than it was wont to be. Indeed, I thought that of a surety, Dominie Muir had gone as far as the change-house for his morning glass of strong waters, wherein I did that worthy man an injury. The Dominie's highland pipes lay on the desk before him, the great drones looking out like eyes at the scholars. They were the recreation of his leisure, for he had been in his youth in the savage north, and had learned to be no ill-considered performer, even in the country of pipes and pibrochs. I looked within, and there, mounted upon two desks and a chair, stood the dominie, with his head through a round hole in the boards of the roof, and all that one could see of him convulsed with animation. The bairns below were in a great consternation, crying out that this one and that other was misbehaving, that Robin Gibb was pinching, 
or that towhead kennedy was in the act of some piece of villainy which remained unexpressed for the obvious reason that the heavy hand of towhead kennedy had prisoned the information within the mouth of the tale-bearer the school of maybole was an apartment nearly square with a dark well-hacked oaken writing-desk running round two sides of it and benches set crossways on the floor where when the peace was undisturbed by internal war the bairns conned their tasks from worn copies of the bible at the far end of the school was a wooden bar a foot from the floor and a little behind it another this was called the hangman for it was the post of judgment to unruly boys who were called upon to kneel over the first bar and grasp the second thus putting themselves into a proper position for the operations of the fiery and untender little dominie the desk of the master had a framework behind it in which were half a dozen birch rods carefully kept and oiled even as i keep my stands of arms for the callants of maybole have ever been unruly and so remain to this day dominie muir was in stature the least but in learning i can well believe the greatest of dominies for he was never without two or three scholars in the latin it was whispered by the malicious that he had been trained for a clerk in the old days of the roman church but made a false step and so had to turn dominie taking the words at their usual meaning i utterly condemn and reject this lying malicious explanation for dominie muir was the least handsome man in carrick he was little scarce bigger than many boys of twelve and fourteen who sat in his class in the new testament which was naturally the class beneath the old testament his hair grew all over his head and face gray wiry and rough like burned heather out of this tangle a pair of humorsome eyes looked and a stout nose projected like the angle of an overgrown and ruined building his arms were long and so strong that he could lift any lad in the school into the air with one of them while he gave him a picky with the other so fierce and fiery was the little man that no one of the great stalwart loons who came in the winter time dared to try their pranks upon him he would fly at them swift as the wildcat springs and beat half a dozen black and blue before they had time to rally what he was now doing with his head through the ceiling i could not well imagine but there was a great noise aloft and a rushing of feet while the master made desperate dives hither and thither like a man in deep water and not well able to swim beneath one little rascal of a bare-legged loon rose from the seat where he had been sitting squirming at his copy the dominie is lost he cried in great pretended alarm oh sirs where is our dominie look in the inkhorns lassies look in a your pouches laddies and so all the ill-set vagabonds rose and began to search the inkhorns the dinner wallets and even in the rat holes for the master but at this moment there was a crash and first one and then another pair of legs appeared dangling through the ceiling wildly kicking the head of the dominie returned through the hole in the ceiling and he cautiously descended his face was damp with perspiration from his exertions aloft and he had the longest and stoutest birch rod which was of the thickness of one's forefinger in his hand there was a great streak of soot across his nose which indeed was about all that there was for it to cross the rest of his face being but a grey tangle of hair dominie muir came forward to where i stood by the door he greeted me right heartily and not the less when i told him on whose account i was there for he had often been summoned over to drink a pint with sir thomas at the inn or in his own town house because my master ever loved all learned men bide a wee he said till i attend to these rascal loons they climbed up through the hole in the ceiling when i was at deacon gilroy's funeral to get the store of balls knuckle bones chucky stones and other things the bairns throw up there i kenned well they would fall through so the dominie took a much thinner and suppler bundle of birch 
gave it a draw through his hand and a swish or two in the air, which made the dangling legs kick more wildly than ever. It might be with pleasure, and it might be with painful anticipation. Dominie Muir walked to the place and set a chair for himself to stand upon. "'Why belongs they legs?' he asked of the scholars. "'They are Tammy Nisbet's,' said the school with one voice. "'We ken by his duddy breeks.' "'And whose limbs are these? "'To whom do these legs belong?' he continued, "'pointing to certain red objects that twinkled in frantic endeavours to be free. "'Jock Harrison's,' answered the school, without a moment's hesitation. "'They are clouted with his mither's old petticoat.' "'Then the master did his office affectionately upon those parts of Tommy Nisbet and Jock Harrison, "'which of their own accord the adventurous loons had exposed. "'The thwacks resounded through the school, but the yells mostly ascended through the roof.' Then, when he had finished his pleasure, for I saw by his eye it was no unwelcome task, he put up an arm, and without circumspection pulled the squirming urchins through the rotten boards. "'Thomas Nisbet,' he said severely, "'your feather is an householder. He shall pay for the damage done to the ceiling of this school, which is the property of the session of the parish, of which I am clerk. And your feather can take the price out of your breeks himself at his leisure.' He then hauled the other down in the same manner, "'Jock Harrison, I'll never trouble your poor mither about the siller for the repairs. "'She has enough to do with ten like you. "'But I'll e'en pay your hurdies the new, "'and quit your mother and you too at the one settlement.' "'Which having done, he laid down his bundle of rods, "'dusted his hands, and commended himself to me to know how, "'and in what manner, he might serve my master. "'I told him that if he would write a letter to John Muir of Auchendrain "'to bid him meet with Sir Thomas at the chapel of St. Leonard's, by the sand-hills of air, on the morrow's morn at ten of the clock, and send it to Auchendrain by one of his most trustworthy lads, it would be no small obligation. And furthermore, that I would await an answer here in Maybole, having other business to transact. Good faith, Master Lancelot, I will do that, and gladsomely, said the little dominie. So, having brought the school to order, and set the classes to their work, he squared himself at his desk, and wrote fairly and elaborately as I told him, for the little man prided himself on his penmanship, which indeed Sir Thomas ever said was better than that of any law scrivener in Edinburgh. I reminded him of this, and Dominie Muir could hardly contain himself for pride. How strange that so small a thing should set up some men! Then, when he had finished, and addressed it in the Italian manner, he called out, William Dalrymple, come hither! And from the close-built ranks of the old scholars at the wall-desks, a plump-faced ruddy boy arose. This, the dominie said, is the son of a widow-woman, and a steady lad that will truly do your message, and bring you word again without delay or falsehood. He is called for a nickname, Willie Glegfeet. So to William was delivered the letter, and sundry copper coins for running the errand. Whereupon he took up the venal, and through the high street on the way to Auchendrain like a hunted hare, for as his name imports, he was wonderfully nimble of his feet. Having thus delivered my message, I thanked the dominie very heartily, and went to the play of the golf-green till a messenger should return. I had an excellent game, but not playing with mine own clubs I was beaten, though not at great odds, by the young laird of Grimmet, whose chin was hardly yet better of the cleaving it got on the fatal day at the lady's carse. But this interfered not with his putting. Now gaming on the green is uncommonly fretting to the temper, and more especially when you are losing with a man like Grimmet who cries and shouts at every good stroke of his own, and dispraises yours. Yet owing to the well-kenned equality of my temper, and also because he was not yet fully recovered of his wound, I did not clout him over the sconce with my cleek, as I certainly was in a great mind more than once to do. 
We were yet hard at it, and the afternoon wearing on apace, when I saw the little dominie coming toward us with the boy William Dalrymple by his side. The schoolmaster held the letter in his hand, and gave it back to me. William Dalrymple says that he found not the laird of Auchendrain in his own house, and has therefore brought back the letter. I looked at it a moment, turning it over in my hand. It has been opened, said I. See, the wax is gone, and there are finger marks within. So indeed it has, said Dominie Muir. Boy, if you have opened it, I will tan you alive, outside and in. Whereat the boy began to weep. I have said what I was told to say, he cried. Nothing more could we get out of him. Save that a dark man, faced like an ape or a wild beast, had come some way home behind him and sorely terrified him. So we sent the boy back to his mother, and bidding farewell for that time to the dominie and to young Gremmet, I fared along the way to Colain to make me ready for the long journey of the morrow. End of chapter 28